Welcome to the ESG Academy, where the Hogan Lovells team quickly but thoroughly shares critical insights on key ESG issues that in-house counsel need to know. Today's episode is about navigating impact measurement and science-based targets. Your hosts are Dr. Marion Palmer, a London-based senior scientist and founding member of our science unit, which streamlines the acquisition and processing of scientific evidence for clients. Marion is joined by Scott Anderson from our Denver office, who has decades of experience in the energy industry and the former global head of the firm's Energy and Natural Resources Group. Over to Marion and Scott to explain the importance of reliable data and why it really does matter what you measure. So a large part of my role currently is to develop and help um, evaluate metrics which have validity for the goals that clients want to achieve whether this is meeting an ESG target the company has set or making sure that they have the evidence to substantiate their position should this come under legal scrutiny in years to come. And I think the first thing to say about ESG metrics is that it's really important to understand your goals and what you're trying to achieve before you start to measure something. If you set up the process of data identification and collection, which as we all know is uh, very time consuming, without having this clearly in mind, you can easily end up measuring something that ends up being of little value to you and your company and not being able to achieve your aims. Obviously, the world of ESG is very broad. And with your many years of experience, Scott, I think you've probably looked at most of the aspects over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fascinating now to see how this level of measurement is being developed. And and again, some of it is just companies taking their own initiative to try to measure their ESG performance. Um, But in addition, there's a fair amount of regulatory oversight. Uh, Both the EU and the UK are developing uh, ESG reporting standards Uh, The UK has a green taxonomy that they're beginning to implement. Uh, We also know that the United States Security and Exchange Commission will be undertaking a fairly substantial rulemaking this fall, which will include ESG reporting. And the fascinating thing about ESG reporting is that these are non-financial metrics, and they're designed to track environmental, social, and governance performance. And the performance is the key part of that. There are two kind of threshold matters that we need to address when we think about ESG metrics. The first is setting a baseline. Uh, It's important if you're going to measure the performance of a company to determine how it improves its performance over time. And the other thing is to engage with stakeholders to try to determine which of the ESG metrics are material because you can't measure everything all the time. Looking at environmental performance, uh, this may seem like it's one of the easier things to measure because you can measure emission levels, use of water, and so forth. But to measure ESG performance on the environmental nexus One thing that measurements tend to look at are ratios as a way to look at performance and the intensity of performance. You might, for example, measure the percent of greenhouse gas emissions per unit of production. You can also look at the use of water relative to the scarcity of water in the area where operations are occurring. For social impacts, measurement often looks at things like supply chain, data security, uh, labor practices, employee health and safety. One might, for example, look at the gender pay gap within a company or try to measure the number of suppliers that have high-risk labor practices. On governance, the focus is often to look at the structure of the company. You might, for example, measure the representation of gender diversity on the board of directors or look at overall transparency of business practices or executive compensation as a way to measure governance 
in the context of ESG. The benefits of measurements are substantial, and it's also important to set goals along the way. Doing this level of measurement allows ease of reporting over time, and again, we expect more regulatory engagement on reporting and reporting standards. It also allows a company to reduce its exposure to risk, including shareholder activism. And again, we've seen some recent examples of shareholder activism in the context of ESG compliance. It also allows meaningful internal benchmarking. If you set goals and then find a way to measure against those goals, it allows the company to determine whether or not it's being successful in achieving its ESG uh, plans. And finally, it allows a level of stakeholder engagement uh, and a process for stakeholder engagement that might not otherwise be available. In the context of energy and resource development, we often talk about the social license to operate. Uh, the engagement and acceptance by a community of a project or an activity. And having these kinds of metrics are a way to engage with stakeholders and secure that social license to operate. So, Marion, what is your thinking about uh, ESG metrics uh, as this process moves forward? Well, gosh, thanks, Scott. I think um, <laughs> that highlights the vast uh, range of issues to consider and uh, I think one of the things is that for some companies, particularly smaller companies, that range can be overwhelming. I've done some work recently which has looked at how to set criteria for specialist sustainability-linked loans in the financial sector. And it's extremely difficult to look through this mass of ESG criteria and identify what really matters. And in relation to this um, approach, the newly formed um, task force on nature-related financial disclosures is really interesting. And this follows on from the sort of uh, climate-related financial disclosures task force. The nature one advocates the method of evaluating where nature impacts on your business and similarly where your business impacts on nature and then trying to identify the area of crossover between the two so that you can focus company efforts of measurement and change in this space. An example of this would be um, sort of coffee growers who are facing issues associated with drought and deforestation. So setting targets for water conservation in production or planting indigenous trees around growing areas will help create internal incentives as well as the additional multiple benefits in terms of the outcomes of these projects. As you already uh, hinted to, there is clear methodology for some of these metrics, but for others, there really isn't and they are currently being developed. Clear methodology is uh, associated with things like the science-based targets for carbon emissions reductions, so the uh, SBTI. For those unfamiliar with these targets, there are a range of either uh, sector-based or fixed percentage reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, um, targets that companies can sign up to and publicise, and many well-known companies have signed up to the SBTI But I think the ongoing challenge is going to be how to achieve these targets. If you have the capacity to offset effectively, you know, real-time permanent carbon capture, you may be able to reach carbon neutrality relatively quickly. But achieving your science-based targets requires a cut in both energy use and emissions production, and, and these targets can't be achieved by offsetting. And this doesn't even begin to consider the um, issues arising from uh, trying to set targets for scope three emissions. So I think these are some of the challenges uh, for our clients going forward. 
Um, what are your thoughts on the area, Scott? So the interesting thing about measurement in the context of science-based targets and measurement more generally is that it's very useful for companies to think about these issues now, even though a lot of the regulations and guidance are still to come. As I mentioned earlier, it's very important to figure out what your baseline is, and it's going to be hugely valuable to companies to be able to show improvement on these metrics over time. In addition, the science-based targets are very focused on climate change, and climate change is a key component of ESG. It's not the only component of ESG. The concept is much broader than that, but it's clear that climate change is going to drive a lot of the thinking about ESG and about measurement and metrics over time. Thanks, Scott. It's been really great chatting to you and uh, hopefully we'll be able to um, use our combined efforts to help our clients in this area going forwards. Great. Thank you, Marion, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much to Marion and Scott for today's discussion. Visit our ESG site on hoganlevels.com for additional podcasts, videos and resources, or download more episodes from the Apple Podcast app or the Google Podcast app for Android users. 